Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. Boy, we have had a great time here in Chattanooga. We had our School of Prophets conference. We had live streaming across the United States and around the world. We just praise the Lord for the opportunity to get the Word of God out. You might remember that David James said he was going to look at God's plan throughout the ages. He did that. People were just blown away, especially with his PowerPoint production. And he was able to communicate those truths. I concluded my third section of looking at Bible prophecy in every book of the Bible. And in fact, what we have done, we've been able to conclude the first phase of School of Prophets. In other words, we had the conception, the idea of what we wanted to do. We developed a curriculum, and now we move into the second phase, churches and conferences in the future. We'll be telling you more about that as we come to some real conclusions how we're going to do all of this. But it's an exciting time, and we're thrilled that we're able to have a great conference here in Chattanooga. Sorry you had to miss it. Uh, You can, by the way, go on and you can watch it all on live streaming through our YouTube channel. We'll give you all the information next time we come together while we're on the air. Well, thank you so very much for joining us today. Our broadcast partners are standing by. Dr. Don DeYoung is going to be talking to us about the largest black hole that they have ever found. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. And, of course, it's just simply another display of the glory of the Lord. We're going to be talking with Mike Gendron. David James has some thoughts about the impeachment process. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. And please excuse the voice. I did about 10 hours of teaching in the last couple of days. I'm hoping that we can go through the entire broadcast without my voice disappearing. But uh, we've got so much important information from our broadcast partners. I think they'll take most of the time. For example, Ken Timmerman. He looks at geopolitical activities around the world. We're going to have him come to the microphone right now. And Ken, I want to start off with the NATO meeting that took place earlier this week. It looks like they turn within themselves to go after Turkey, who seems to be defying the bloc, the NATO bloc. What do we know? Well, this was a pretty contentious NATO meeting, and it was openly so, which is extremely unusual. I watched parts of the press conference with President Trump and French President Macron, and frankly, I have never seen a performance like that on the world stage where two important world leaders openly defy each other and contradict each other in front of live television cameras. Uh, President Trump was saying, well, everything with Turkey is just fine. I've got a great relationship with Erdogan. And Macron said, well, that's great, but uh, we don't. And Turkey is threatening to flood us with refugees. And by the way, Turkey has been buying the S-400 missile, and that's a non-starter and basically excludes them. Uh, Turkey also uh, threatened during the summit to uh, not support the NATO policy of defending the Baltic states against the eventual Russian invasion if the rest of NATO did not accept the Kurds as terrorists. Specifically, he met the PKK, but also the YPG inside Syria, the Syrian Kurds. He wants NATO to break off all relations with them and to consider them as a terrorist organization. This is a non-starter. 
is a non-starter for the United States. It's a non-starter for every other country in NATO. So Erdogan was really throwing his weight around and did not seem at all concerned about um, retaliation from the rest of the NATO countries. This is a big deal going forward. It has not been resolved. Uh, we've been talking about that here on these airwaves, Jimmy, but it's going to be an increasingly important issue internationally. A lot of people are going to start talking about this now. I would believe so. We're the pace setters, so they better get in line behind us and, and get to reporting on the activities really happening around the world, but in particular NATO. Uh, we could talk much more about NATO, but I want to talk about Turkey, which we were just mentioning. Turkey is trying to take over the Mediterranean through Libya. Man, that's the first time I've heard that. How is that all coming about? Well, this is a big deal. It's brand new. It slipped under everybody's radar, I'll admit, including my own until this week. The Turks apparently have gone to Libya's minority government and negotiated a deal over maritime access and maritime rights. Now, to understand what's going on here, you need to know that today there are two governments in Libya. Libya basically descended into chaos after the U.S. and the French supported the demise of Gaddafi. We supported an al-Qaeda takeover, basically, of the country. And Libya, after uh, the Benghazi attacks, in 2012 has descended into chaos. Out of that chaos, you have two rival governments, one in Benghazi and the other in Tripoli. The one in Tripoli is the remnant of the ISIS, al-Qaeda, jihadi groups. It's supported by the United Nations Mm. and ostensibly by the United States. The other one in Benghazi is run by a general who used to be in Gaddafi's army named Kaftar, and Haftar is supported by Egypt and the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, and Russia. Mm. <laughs> so this is a, it's a really interesting situation. So Turkey came in and supported the former jihadi government in Tripoli, signed a deal with him last week to give Turkey exclusive access to Libyan mineral rights and uh, naval rights on the seas across the Mediterranean Erdogan himself has said, we are cutting the Mediterranean in half from Mm. the Sea of Marmara, which is on southern Turkey, all the way to Derna and Tobruk and Tripoli. It's it's this kind of corridor, which they are now claiming to have exclusive control over. This is completely against international law. There is no recent precedent for this that I know of. This is the kind of thing that countries, that nations and alliances go to war over. Uh, Greece is taking this extraordinary Turkish uh, aggression to NATO and eventually to the U.N. I think that uh, we're going to start hearing a lot about this, Jimmy, in the coming weeks. Yeah, and it seems like that uh, you're breaking all the information for us right here on Prophecy Today. Well, we've got to focus on Iran. Whenever you and I get together, we have to have uh, some part of the conversation looking at Iran. The Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps commander has made a statement that all of their missiles are aimed at 21 U.S. bases in the Middle East. That is not good. It's not, and I do not think that he's inaccurate in that. I think that's not just a boast. I think they have the capability uh, with the tens of thousands, some say over 100,000 missiles in the hands of Hezbollah, tens of thousands more with uh, Hamas and Gaza and those in Syria and Iraq, as well as those in Iran. I think they have the capability to target 
basically all U.S. bases in the region. Now, he also wanted to say, this is uh, a minor general in the IRGC, he was speaking at their uh, staff officer college for the Revolutionary Guard in Bushir. Uh, he also said they can launch 20,000 missiles a day. That, I think, is not true. Uh, I think that's a, that's a boast. If he includes uh, mortars and perhaps people popping off their AK-47s vertically, yeah. uh, maybe they can. But uh, this is not 20,000 missiles, as you and I would think of missiles. They do have an extraordinary capability. They are putting those missiles in Iraq as well, and this is going to cause huge potential conflict with Israel and also the United States if they use those missiles as they have already against Saudi Arabia. Now, take now kind of the lid is off, if you wish. Everybody knows it. They're not going to get away with this again. So this is a, a big potential uh, conflict. Uh, brewing here, the Iranians, just like the Turks, are feeling emboldened in their aggression. It seems like those two are the major out-front players in the Middle East scenario. That is unfolding. By the way, great connection to Bible prophecy in the end-time scenario as well. Talk to me. Uh, you can't talk about Iran without talking about the protests that are going on, those being killed. Why has Iran erupted into these protests? Do you know, Ken? The protests erupted uh, originally, Jimmy, over a very large increase in the price of gasoline to Iranian consumers, over 300%. But they have expanded just amazingly all across the country. This is the biggest protest we've seen since the revolution in 1978 by far. Over 150 major cities and, 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 and townships across the country. And the regime has cracked down brutally. Uh, they shut down the Internet for a week. I have always said in the past, watch out when the Iranians shut down the Internet because they want to kill in the darkness. And now that the Internet is back up and we're getting videos from what happened during the, the first week of those protests in November 15th on, uh, we're learning that's exactly what they did. They were killing in darkness. Uh, it seems that they've killed hundreds of protesters, maybe thousands of protesters. We don't know yet. Uh, video has, has emerged of an absolutely horrific event uh, in a town just off, a, a port town just off the Persian Gulf near Bandar Abbas, where the protesters had taken over the town, and a day or two later, the IRGC, the Revolutionary Guards troops, came in, guns ablazing, started shooting people at point-blank range in the city square and in the streets of the city. Then a group of protesters fled past a burning petrochemical plant into a nearby marsh. And the IRGC came in. They surrounded them. There were several hundred people there. Some accounts say 120. Others say 400. So they surrounded them and just machine gunned mm. them mm. down. It was like something the Nazis would have done in World War II. Absolutely horrific. And now the world is learning all about it. Right. And Iran is accusing the great Satan, the United States, and the little Satan, Zionist Israel, being behind these protests. That's why we're so thrilled to have Ken Timmerman with us right here at Broadcast Central at Chattanooga, Tennessee. He comes from wherever he may be in the world. We put him up electronically, and he gives us very important reports. Ken, thank you so very much, my good friend, and I'm sure we'll have another conversation next week. Thank you. I hope to do so. God bless you, man. We're going to take a break when we come back. David Dolan, he's standing by with his Middle East News Update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I was telling you in the first segment of the broadcast with Ken Timmerman, we have just concluded our School of Prophets conference here in Chattanooga. Many of our students of our School of Prophets coming to take the courses so that they can finish up, either get their master's degree or work towards their Ph.D. And also I mentioned there's a possibility that you can go online Go on YouTube, and we have a channel there, and you could watch some of the teaching that took place the last week. David James did a, and you know we're going to be talking with David in the last segment of the broadcast. David James did a study on God's plan through the ages, and I concluded my third step in looking at every book of the Bible, all 66, and letting you understand there is prophecy, some prophecy passage in each of those books. And if you'll go to my homepage, prophecytoday.com, where it calls for videos that must be watched by those who visit my website, you'll be able to get the link. So double-click on that. It'll take you to the link, and you'll be able to select some of the study. If you'd like to do that, it's free be a great opportunity for you to learn some truth from God's prophetic word. Again, that website address, prophecytoday.com. Go to the home page and look for that link. Well, we're going to come to David Dolan real quickly now because I've taken a little bit of his time here. We need David to give us his Middle East news update. He is key for helping us to understand how this world is so prepared for the fact that Jesus could come with the rapture of the church 
at any moment. David, let me start with this. There was a major article that was written in Israel that said Trump got it right on Jerusalem. And of course, he was thinking about December 6th this last week. It was two years ago in 2017 when he declared to the world that Jerusalem was the political capital of the Jewish state of Israel. Trump may have some problems other ways, but he sure does not have it wrong as it relates to Jerusalem, does he? Well, Jimmy, you'll recall that before that announcement, when it was becoming clearer and clearer that the president was going to actually keep his promise during the campaign in 2016 to move the embassy to Jerusalem, that he would be the first president to actually do that, even though the Congress had demanded that in the 1990s and all the president's sense had found some excuse not to do it, Uh, We had all these predictions of disaster, that it would lead to major war, that there would be upheaval amongst the Palestinians, that there would be all sorts of terrible things happen. Well, just the opposite, as you suggested there. It's been calm. There was definitely not a welcoming from most of the Arab and uh, Muslim countries. Nevertheless, the embassy was moved to an already existing building, the consulate building, uh, right on the divide between East and West Jerusalem in the southern part of the city. And it's been operating ever since. There's been no terror attacks against it, as was uh, feared There have been no rocket attacks, these sorts of things. So uh, it's worked out, and it's uh, definitely a lot easier for the Americans that live in Israel. And I was one of those uh, people for many decades. 150,000 or so live around the Jerusalem area. A much smaller number live down in the Tel Aviv area, even though it's the economic capital of Israel in reality, but Jerusalem is the political capital, and now people can just go down the road to the embassy instead of having to take an hour to get to Tel Aviv and and do that. And we will recall, you will recall certainly, that the U.S. embassy in Tel Aviv was attacked. Actually, a couple times terror attacks were launched because it was right on the Mediterranean coast. It was very easy, relatively speaking, for terrorists to attack it. That's not the case with the new building. So, It's worked out well, and the Israelis are pleased with that. And, of course, several other countries have also, in the meantime, moved their embassies to Jerusalem. Well, that was a very profound pronouncement by President Trump, and, of course, great prophetic significance as well. Talk about that when we take a look at the book. Talk to me about the elections. Looks like they're going to have to go to a third election now. Yes, it does, Jimmy. It's uh, just incredible. Uh, Nobody wants it. None of the political parties want to spend more money. Uh, People are tired. Our elections in the United States tend to go on and on for many, many, many months as well. In Israel, that's not usually the case. Uh, It takes two or three months from the time that they start campaigning till the vote takes place. Then it takes another month or so usually to form a coalition government, and then it's done at least for another three to four years. And elections can be held at any time in Israel because of it being a parliamentary system. No confidence can be voted theoretically at any time, and that sometimes happens. But normally we have this three- or four-year gap, uh, as is the case in the United States and other countries normally. 
So uh, the Israelis don't want this. The prime minister is not thrilled. We have this proposal this week that maybe he would just serve for six months and then he would resign and somebody else in the Likud would take over. Uh, still the talks going on with Benny Gantz. Lieberman, the head of the Israel Beitenu Russian-speaking party, making clear this week that he won't go with any narrow government and declaring that a unity government is now impossible as well. The two sides have hardened their positions so much. But again, Jimmy, I've said it, I'll repeat it, if we go to a full war, and there were more indications that's coming this week, if we do that with Iran and its allies, then we'd probably see an emergency national unity government set up to include as much of the country as possible under those circumstances. But, of course, uh, people don't want to see elections. They also certainly don't want to see a war. Yes, absolutely. Well, in light of that thought, the Israeli Defense Force doing drills in the north, preparing for war with Hezbollah, should they have to do that? Well, yes, Jimmy, and we had the meeting this week between Mike Pompeo and Bibi Netanyahu, the prime minister in Lisbon, where uh, Pompeo was. He flew over there, a couple-hour flight, and uh, they discussed, first and foremost, the threat that Iran is posing. We had reports that uh, the USS Abraham Lincoln is still in the Gulf and that another group of uh, U.S. ships are coming after that. And it's just becoming fairly clear that the Iranians are building up to something major here. We had President Trump hint at that this week. The reports that more U.S. troops will be sent to the Middle East, uh, that was denied. The number, at least, was denied by the Pentagon. But it does seem, from all the reports we're getting, that something is afoot there. We had another uh, airstrike on an Iranian position on the Iraqi border with Syria this week. Actually, it took place while the meeting was was occurring in Lisbon, and uh, it was speculated that Israel was involved in that. So uh, we had uh, uh, more reports of rockets being moved into Iraq, short-range rockets that are not so short-range that they can't hit Israel from Iraq. And then, as you mentioned, Hezbollah, more indications of trouble there, and continuing trouble inside of Lebanon, inside of Iraq, inside of Iran, anti-government protests in all cases. So a lot of tension a lot of potential for conflict, and the Israelis remain on full war alert because of that. Yes, and when you're talking about those issues you just brought to our attention, David, that's all external. Internally, uh, there's a continuing conflict as it relates to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, now being reported that there are regular Jewish prayers being held up on the Temple Mount. Yehuda Glick, member of the Knesset, used to head up uh, the Temple Institute, people preparing to build that next temple, a good friend of ours. He's been on the broadcast in many of our videos. He's the one, they say, burst up onto the Temple Mount. They started praying, and the police supposedly looking the other way. What do you know? Well, this has been the trend now for a number of years. I recall when I first went to Israel in 1980 that it was virtually impossible for Jews to go up on the Temple Mount and pray. The Muslims would immediately come and uh, shush them off. Uh, some people were detained. I was there with a pastor from the States and his wife, and we just stopped to have a quiet prayer. And we were assaulted, basically, by two or three Muslim guards, came running over and saying, you can't do that, this isn't allowed here. Well, in recent years, it's been happening more and more. And as you say, Jewish groups in particular that want to see a temple rebuilt have been, well, I would say more and more bold every year in their demands to 
be able to pray on what is, uh, of course, Judaism's holiest site on earth. It is a holy site to the Muslims, but only because it was first holy to the Jews and to Christians before that. So um, there's no reason that Jews shouldn't be allowed to pray up there, and it is happening more and more. Meanwhile, though, the Palestinians, as you say, are stepping up their anti prayer efforts there, and uh, we had also more demonstrations down in the Gaza Strip yesterday. They resumed those weekly protests, uh, suspended for three weeks, four or five thousand Palestinians gathered there, and more rioting going on there. Always those tensions over Jerusalem, Jimmy, but as you say, the scriptures tell us that eventually the Jews will be back up there praying, and, well, could be very soon. And that is the bottom line. And also that is the reason we have David Dolan at the broadcast table to give us a Middle East news update. David, thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, John Rood, who reports on the European Union, he is standing by. We'll go to him. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. We're trying to get some rest after the 10 hours of teaching in about three days. That becomes pretty tough on the voice. Maybe you can hear it in my voice today on the broadcast. This weekend, we're going to be open. We're not going to be going out any place, but we're going to leave in the middle of the week going over to Switzer, Indiana. Going to speak on Thursday, Friday, and then skip Saturday and Sunday. Going to be doing my Christmas message on Migdal Adar. Looking forward to that time. If you're in that area, love to have you come study the prophetic word of God with us. Well, we're going to go to John Rood now. He's the man who covers the European Union for us. We do that because politically, whatever move they make, is moving towards the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. John, glad to have you along. Talk to me about France and Germany and the United Kingdom, by the way. They are saying that Iran has a nuclear capability, and they're very much concerned about it. What do we know? Yes, there's a new development here. I would say these are underlying tendencies that have become so obvious and so strong now that something must be said about it. In other words, there's a great deal of intelligence concerning Iran's nuclear uh, program development. So France, Germany, and the United Kingdom, their ambassadors have made a formal statement now to the U.N. Security Council that Iran has been doing ballistic tests 
which come against a U.N. resolution, that they would refrain from such action for about eight years. Uh, there's four examples, missiles that could have nuclear capability, and there's definition for that. So as we know, the United States withdrew from the nuclear agreement in May 2018, and they apparently have not been keeping the terms of, the, of, of any of the agreements. And so the European uh, countries are coming against this inconsistency, but it's a very important development that now it's a formal recognition that they have this nuclear capability for missiles. Yes, and we've always understood that they had the Shahab-3 missile, which was a pretty good delivery system, but now it's even better. All of the Europeans really getting concerned, not only France, Germany, and the United Kingdom. Is that correct? I would say so, and exactly, it is the Shahab-3 medium-range ballistic missile. It has a variant on it now that's equipped for maneuverable reentry. so we would understand why that would be a major concern when it can carry a payload as heavy as a nuclear armament. There was a very interesting meeting of the leaders of NATO that just took place. All of those who are members, what is it, about uh, 29 members? How many in the NATO organization, John? I believe 28. 28, and they had a meeting. But uh, they really had some conversation within themselves, the member states of uh, NATO, about Turkey. And Turkey seems to be defying the bloc. I mean, I don't understand why Turkey's anyway in NATO, but uh, they are, and they're, they're really the bad boy on the block, aren't they? Well, these are all sort of good points. The news focused, of course, on some of the internal bickering between some of the heads of state, uh, the United States concerns as for the, the budgets to be met, etc. But uh, correct, Jimmy, the important central concern of that particular meeting was not any of those uh, uh, interests, but indeed that Turkey is stepping out of bounds, they're taking unilateral action. The President Erdogan has actually said if NATO does not support him coming against the Kurdish groups in Turkey and some of the other things that they've done, then they would not support to defend Baltic countries that would come against Russian aggression. So this is clearly uh, out of bounds with a NATO member. And I believe perhaps the most significant quote was from French President Macron, who literally said, it's not possible for Turkey to remain a NATO member and also field the S-400 missile system it bought from Russia yeah. earlier this year. So the United States had sanctioned China for buying that same missile system, and now we have a NATO member who has bought it. So it, it's a process that takes some months, but we would expect there would be some reaction to that as well. And McGrone, he came out pretty strong with that statement he had that NATO is brain dead. I didn't see him come off of that stand at all, did you? Um, no, not particularly. In fact, there seemed to be a quite a bit of chuckling amongst themselves. But there is a power jockeying, as, as always. Europe is concerned about their defense. Uh, they have not taken great strides in collective defense. And so President Macron is sort of filling that gap and coming on strong. Hopefully, I, I would think he's considering 
what the French leadership would be in a future European army. And, of course, we know that France had, was distanced uh, quite, quite a bit from de Gaulle uh, in those years from NATO as well. So this is something that's been there for some decades. John, a very interesting statement coming from an Italian professor. He said that Hitler was actually defending European civilization when he did what he did during the Holocaust. Your thoughts? This is a uh, unusual uh, story that this university professor had been tweeting uh, defending Hitler. And uh, so he teaches philosophy and law, public policy. So this should be a learned person. The education minister of Italy has had to come and uh, against, obviously, distancing themselves as well as the university from his statements. I think an interesting point here is that these tweets on such offensive level, they date back to 2017. So perhaps it's an interesting twist. Why has this been going on for two years? It should have been dealt with much earlier. Very interesting statement made by the foreign minister of Israel in light of the fact that elections are coming up in Great Britain. And the foreign minister of Israel, Katz, he made the statement, I hope that Corbyn loses the British elections. Corbyn kind of, in one way or the other, seemingly trying to back down and say he was sorry for his anti-Semitic statements and activities. I imagine a lot of people would feel the same way as the Israeli foreign minister. Jeremy Corbyn has had a history, and it's become pervasive in the Labor Party in the United Kingdom. Uh, One source, I saw a quote that there have been, quote, thousands of cases of alleged hate speech against Jews have been recorded within Labor since 2015. Mm. And Corbyn is the elected uh, leader of that party. So that's just... That's just astounding. And so he's been repeatedly, you know, pointed out to make an apology. Uh, He's refused several times just last week, even during a BBC interview. And then one newscaster got him to actually make some type of uh, Mm. apologetic statement. I don't know how much weight we could put with such a thing. Uh, The U.K. elections are December 12th. So this is a major thing that has been an outcoming of all the Brexit uh, progression that we've seen. And also, uh, important thing to consider on these elections is the Brexit party has just had a major falling uh, away of parting at their top leadership. Mm -hmm. Because, ironically, the vote that goes to the Brexit party could be enough to assure that the Conservative Party loses And then we would have a situation where Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party would be at the helm of the United Kingdom. So, actually, leaders have left the Brexit Party because they felt there was more need for a support of the Conservative candidates that such a thing would not happen. Well, that's why we have John behind these microphones with us. We want to look at the political activities unfolding there in the European Union. Again, they are setting the stage for prophecy to be fulfilled, the revival of the old Roman Empire. John, thank you so much. Great report. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you. That's absolutely true. You know, John Rood brings to the broadcast information about the European Union, which I do believe is at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. 
We need to have John's report each and every week. Great to have him as one of our broadcast partners. There's another man who is a great broadcast partner for us, Dr. Don DeYoung, recently retired, by the way, from Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana. He was head of the science department. He has not given up his science, his understanding of it, his connection between science and the Word of God. In fact, if I understand correctly, Don, you just took a group over to the Creation Museum there just outside of Cincinnati, did you not? We were there this week and had a great time looking at the Creation Museum. That's a wonderful place. You get so excited when you go there. I recommend Ken Ham's Creation Museum and also Noah's Ark. Did you get to the Ark as well? Well, that's another hour south into Kentucky. We've been there before, and uh-huh. we'll be there again. Well, I had not been to the Ark. I'm looking forward to being able to do that. Well, let me get down to what I want to talk to you about, Don. I read in an article actually on the CNN website about the black hole, which was supposedly the largest black hole ever. Now, first of all, what is a black hole that's there in outer space, I know, and then is it basically the largest ever? Well, black holes, Jimmy, are uh, uh, collapsed stars, kind of the end of a star. When they uh, run out of fuel, they collapse and shrink inward. They're still very mysterious. Uh, We really can't do physics inside a black hole because we cannot see it. The idea is gravity becomes so strong around these objects that even light cannot escape or any other kind of signal. Yes, in this news recently, um, the idea is that they have detected larger black holes than they thought could exist, which really shows how little we know about them. Well, that is very interesting. The scientist that recently died was confined to a wheelchair. I forgot his name here for a moment. Stephen Hawking. Yes, that was one of his favorite subjects, and he he didn't really know much about them, even as smart as he was, did he? Well, that was interesting with Dr. Hawking. As his body deteriorated, uh, he, he had a gifted mind, and uh, he did much um, theoretical work on black holes. Now, he was not a godly man. Uh, he... He turned his back on the Creator, as best we know. But yes, he had great insight into the mechanism of black holes, but still a lot that he didn't know either, of course. You know, they said in this article that I read and sent along to you that this black hole that we're referring to, it was so large, 40 billion times the mass of the sun. I can hardly imagine that. Well, yes, it is beyond imagination. It does appear, Jimmy, that there are many black holes in the Milky Way and in other galaxies. There seems to be a large black hole in the center of lots of galaxies, the Milky Way and uh, Andromeda and others. But then you also have more remote single black holes where you have collapsed um, stars on a smaller level. So you have the large ones in a galaxy. That's where you run into millions or billions of solar masses, and then the smaller ones. In fact, Stephen Hawking even suggested that there were tiny black holes. He called them mini black holes that could even come zooming through the solar system Mm. now and then and uh, do strange things and lead to UFO stories. There's just a lot of traditions to black holes. And reading the article, I read that it's 700 million light years from Earth. Again, that's something hard to imagine. A light year is, what, traveling at the speed of sound every second? 
Well, a light year is the distance that light would travel during uh, an entire year. It's actually about six trillion miles, mm. uh, which is another number you can't comprehend. <laughs> yes. But uh, yeah, even the nearest nighttime star is several light years away. And as far as we can tell, the, the heavens, they get into the millions of light years, the billions. In fact, perhaps, Jimmy, God's made an infinite universe. We don't see any edge. We don't see any brick wall out there. It goes on and on. I know down at the Creation Museum, just outside of Cincinnati, you can go into a room and uh, through electronics, they take you to the edge, and it's just so amazing to watch that happen. But again, very difficult to understand. Is it possible the black hole we're referring to, which is supposedly the largest, can it get any larger than it is right now? Well, that's an area of active research. Again, you, you cannot see a black hole. What you would find are radiation coming from nearby stars that mm-hmm. are being shredded. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this, this work goes on, and uh, yeah, I mean, we are seeing larger and larger ones. In fact, you know, there could well be objects even stranger and more bizarre than black holes. We already have white dwarf stars, neutron stars. There's incredible variety in the creation, all made back there on day number four of the creation week. And the Lord used four words, and the stars also. That is amazing. That does display his glory, doesn't it? Yes, that uh, phrase in Genesis 1.16 is a majestic understatement. Majestic understatement. Look at the glory of the Lord in the heavens. That's Psalm chapter 19. Just getting ready to go to bed last night, looked up and saw the moon, and I got a shouting match going on right there. I was listening to Adrian Rogers the other day, and he was talking about creation. He said every time he walked out and saw that moon, raised his arms in the air. He wasn't charismatic in any way, shape, or form, but he raised his arms in the air and shout to the Lord. We need to realize, stop and smell the roses. Some realize God's creative activities amazingly show forth his glory. And that's why I love to have you, Don, come and talk with us. And even if it's about that old black hole that we're thinking out there so far away. Thank you, Don, for spending some time with us. Thank you, Jimmy. Good talking to you. Another broadcast partner of ours right here on Prophecy Today is Mike Gendron. He has the organization ProclaimingTheGospel.org. That is their web address. And I would suggest you might want to go there, sign up for their newsletter that goes out. Mike and his precious wife travel all over the country with the effort of trying to lead Catholic people to a true understanding of the gospel and how to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Uh, But Mike also puts out a newsletter. I get that newsletter on a monthly basis. And Mike, when you wrote the newsletter this time, you mentioned a man named Francis Chan. I've got to be honest, maybe I'm hidden someplace in the woods, but I had not heard of this man. Can you tell us a little bit about him and uh, what's his ministry or what should his ministry be? Well, sure. He is the former pastor of Cornerstone Community Church in Simi Valley, California, and I had the opportunity to go and teach at his church probably 15 years ago. And he has since resigned as the pastor there. Now he does conferences, and 
he's really come off the rails. He got a very solid biblical education from a very conservative seminary, but since then he has started coddling with heretics and embracing Roman Catholicism as a valid expression of Christianity. He's very ecumenical. He seeks the approval of men over the approval of God. He's written a book called Crazy Love that was very popular. And, Jimmy, the concern that I have is that he has a tremendous following because he speaks at conferences where 60,000 people come out and hear Mm. a variety of different heretics along with (laughs) Francis Chan. And so he presents a lot of confusion as to where he stands doctrinally. And I'm glad that you have an opportunity to talk with me about him because I really believe that he is confusing the body of Christ. And we're living in a time in our church age in the 21st century. We see so many people following personalities rather than following the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And this man's got a very uh, outgoing personality. People love him. They flock to hear him. But he confuses people about what the gospel is. And his association with heretics has really caused a lot of uproar. Many people have said he's come completely off the rails and he has no discernment at all. You know, what's concerning me now, Mike, and you may agree with me, or you may not, I don't know, but some of these mega churches they teach a easy believism, and then you go to these big conferences, like you say, which are full of heretics teaching false doctrine, false scripture, and I just, I don't like to hang around those organizations much anymore. And in fact, I try to discourage people from even going to them. I understand that uh, Chan is going to be involved in the Alpha Conference in 2020. Talk to me about that. What is it? Where is it? And why should people stay away? Well, the Alpha Conference has been around for quite some time. It's a very ecumenical organization started in um over in Great Britain, and what it seeks to do is to unite all people who name the name of Christ, whether it be Roman Catholics, Anglicans, Episcopalians, Baptists, Evangelicals, and so they have different people that speak at these conferences from all different apostate denominations, and so for Francis Chan to be one of the speakers, he's aligning himself with apostates, including Roman Catholic priests that will be there. And so there's no distinction between the true and false gospel. We know the Roman Catholic Church went apostate officially and dogmatically at the Council of Trent. And Francis Chan should know better. He knows that there are differences, but he chooses to disregard them for actually to gather a larger following. When I spoke at his church, it was quite embarrassing at the end because after laying out the differences between Roman Catholicism and Biblical Christianity for an hour and 15 minutes, I was supposed to open up the session for questions and answers. And Francis Chan was concerned because the Simi Valley News was in his church, and he knew that they were going to be reporting on the event. Many of these Simi Valley editors were Roman Catholics. So at the end of my presentation, I was supposed to answer questions from the audience, but he jumped up from the front row, turned around and faced the audience and said, I want to apologize to all of you visitors here tonight. This is not what our church is about, and Mm. I am so sorry you had to sit through this. Mm. 
And so what it did is it totally deconstructed everything that I had said Mm -hmm. as far as the differences between Catholicism and Christianity. And, Jimmy, you know, in in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, we are to hold fast the faithful words so that we will be able to exhort and sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. And what Francis Chan did that night, he refuted my sound doctrine, and instead he embraced the Roman Catholic religion as a valid expression of Christianity. And so many of the people that were there that evening walked away totally confused as to whether or not they should believe what I shared from the Word of God or whether they should believe their pastor, Francis Chan. Another thing I gleaned from your newsletter was that Chan was at a conference, and he stood up in the conference and made the statement, the Holy Spirit told him not to try to evangelize these Catholics that were there. I don't see how the Holy Spirit would ever do that, do you? Well, not at all, because, uh, you know, that's a mark of charismania, as we know it, where people think they get a word from God, and God talks directly to them. But, you know, the only time that you can hear God speaking is when you read the Bible out loud. And, of course, when Francis Chan, I mean, that's blasphemy to say that the Holy Spirit instructed him not to evangelize. That's what we're all called to do, especially those in an apostate religion. I understand that there's a a traveling musician with him, Matt Redman. He's in the same camp as this Chen. Yes, he is. In fact, Matt Redman has actually teamed up with another musical artist that's very popular, Matt Mayer, and he's um, a Christian. I mean, he says he's a Christian, but he's a Roman Catholic. And so, once again, when you have an Anglican teaming up with a Roman Catholic, then you wonder, well, What's the doctrine? What gospel are they proclaiming? And I hope uh, your listeners understand that I'm not saying anything to be hateful or divisive. Uh, The Word of God is what divides, and the Roman Catholic religion is an apostate religion. And so when you have artists that are joining together and they're claiming to be Christians when, in fact, he's a Roman Catholic, That confuses the audience, and so many of the churches, especially in the Southern Baptist Convention, are singing a lot of Matt Mayer's songs, and all this does is cause confusion throughout the body of Christ. Well, I like what you said. We're not trying to be mean or unkind to anybody, but the Word of God is absolute, and those who do not have the doctrine the Word of God puts forth, we can't associate with, and we need to pay attention, especially in the Catholic Church, what, we're about one-fourth of the world's population that claim to be Catholic, and wow, that's a, a very important evangelistic field that we need to go into to try to win them to Christ, right, Mike? Well, you're right, Jimmy, and, you know, the exhortation from Jude 3 is that we're to contend earnestly for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. And when you make the gospel inclusive— rather than maintaining its purity and exclusivity, then all you're doing is inviting tares into the church. You're giving them a false hope that they're Christians because you've diluted the gospel and removed the offense of the gospel. And so this is what Francis Chan is all about. He's a very dangerous person. He's a compromiser. And I I say this by the authority of God's Word. He aims to be a people pleaser. 
And, of course, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, we're told to seek the approval of God over the approval of men. Yes, amen. And so Chan just needs to be exposed for compromising the gospel and leading people into deception. Mike, thank you so much for your newsletter. You alerted me, and now I've been able to understand, really, why you were bringing this to our attention. The body of Christ needs to recognize false teachers. Jesus said there will be many of them in the last days, and it's one of the indicators, Matthew chapter 24. He says deception, and that's in verse 4, 5, 11, and 24. Deception will be the major sign for the second coming of Christ. We need to be prepared for this. And, of course, this is all leading towards putting that together, that one false church, Revelation 17, isn't it? Well, you're right. In fact, uh, there's another very important verse to consider as we talk about people like Francis Chan. It's in 2 Timothy 4.3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And that's why Francis Chan has such a large following. People don't want sound doctrine anymore, and so people are easily being deceived because they have no discernment, and they're following after people that don't have any discernment as well. That's a major indicator that the end times are upon us, and also that they're quickly moving towards total fulfillment. Mike, thank you so very much for your ministry, Proclaiming the Gospel. ProclaimingTheGospel.org is the website. Go there and sign up for his newsletter. See, you'll learn things by getting that newsletter. Thank you so much, my good friend. We'll have another conversation down the way. Okay, Jimmy. Always a pleasure. We're going to take a break when we come back. We're going to have one more broadcast partner, David James. We're going to be talking about the impeachment process. What should Christians know about it? Well, stay tuned. You'll find out right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our last half hour. I'm going to be talking with David James in a moment. We're going to be talking about the impeachment process, what a Christian should think about this procedure. So keep the dial set right where it is, that upcoming in a moment. would love for you to answer my poll question. It's located on my homepage on the left-hand column if you'll scroll down. Here's the poll question. On December the 6th, Israel celebrated the second anniversary of President Trump's naming Jerusalem as the political capital of the Jewish state of Israel back on December the 6th of 2017. No matter what you think about President Trump, do you agree that that announcement was a profound prophetic announcement as it relates to Israel's future? That's the poll question. If you'll answer it, I'd be so happy. Go to our website to do that, prophecytoday.com. We now bring to this microphone David James. David and I were just together at the School of Prophets Conference here in Chattanooga. We've been talking about it already today. And in fact, let me remind you, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. There on the home page, you'll see how you can connect to our YouTube channel where you can watch David teach 10 sessions on God's plan through the ages and my 10 sessions on the last installment of a three-part program to look at all the books of the Bible, all 66 of them, 
that do contain prophetic passages, Bible prophecy in every book of the Bible. And we did announce yesterday, you'll see that on the YouTube channel if you are able to watch all of it, that that was simply phase one. We had to conceive it. Then we had to develop a curriculum. That's phase one. When I concluded taping, David spoke for the first two hours on Thursday morning. I took the last two hours of the entire conference. But when we finished taping those four hours, phase one had come to a conclusion. And this is very interesting. It was conceived while driving back. Remember I said this at the conference, driving back to Hungary from an incredible weekend that David and I had in Serbia. That was over 12 years ago, I think, David, but that was a great night. We had to try to stay awake, but uh, thinking about uh, 12 years ago, talking about it in the night that we drove back to Hungary. You're exactly right. I remember that weekend in Serbia very well. And as far as we know, it was the first prophecy conference that was ever held in that country. We were working with a Brethren Church and a Baptist Church in a city called Batsky Petrovac. Sunday, I think we estimated that there were around 800 believers had packed out in that Baptist church, uh, meaning that a full 10% of all believers in that country were attending our meetings. And that was, we were just really pumped up about that. And then on the way home, we raised a question about who was coming up behind us, who yeah. were equipped to uh, teach the prophetic Word of God and accurately teach about what God's plan has been for the past and what it is in the present and what it will be like in the future. And that conversation really ended up shaping the direction of our personal ministries over over the last decade and have allowed us to continue to work together as ministry partners as we have for the past 25 years. Well, it's been an incredible journey together, an exciting journey as well. And boy, you know, that wasn't a major community, a major town there in Serbia. It was a little small country town with eight or 900 people in that church that evening. That was an amazing experience as well. Well, David, each week we work hard to find a topic to discuss that is relevant. It's interesting and important for believers to be aware of. And this week, there's certainly no hotter or more important topic than what is happening down in Washington, D.C., as the Democrats are doing everything in their power to impeach President Donald Trump. Well, Jimmy, I think both uh, you and I are news and political junkies, and so we've been following this very closely. I I know you have, and I have as well. And I've also given a lot of thought to our discussion today and some of the things I wanted to communicate with our listeners before we even get into the substance of the impeachment process. The first thing I want to say is that even though we both have our own political views, this discussion isn't really about that. We always try to do our best to avoid getting into strictly partisan politics, and it's not always easy, and it's sometimes uh, difficult to keep from being perceived as being purely political. But again, this isn't about that. This is about right and wrong as far as we see it. And, And also, neither one of us want to be seen as apologists for President Trump. We're not here to defend him when he tweets things he shouldn't or when he says or does things that are indefensible, especially in light of biblical values. We do 
do hold the office of president in high regard, but we don't stand behind him or any politician with blind loyalty. You remember back during the 2016 presidential campaign at a rally in Iowa, Trump famously said he could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and he wouldn't lose voters. Well, that comment was just part of his Manhattan bluster and bravado and probably reflected his overall fairly inflated ego, but more importantly, it just isn't true for any thinking person, even his most devout supporters. And finally, I would say this. I am continually amazed at the incredible wisdom and foresight of the Founding Fathers in crafting the Constitution to protect our republic, which is not a mob-ruled democracy, by the mm-hmm. way. We're a country of laws, and if this president is truly guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors, then I would be among the first to argue that he should be impeached without reservation. I just said that same statement last night to someone I was having a conversation with about this whole issue. You know, David, I'm sure it's been a while since any of us had a a government or civics class in high school. So maybe it'd be really helpful to briefly take a moment and discuss exactly what the Founding Fathers, you mentioned them, what the Founding Fathers put into place concerning impeachment including both the grounds and the process of impeachment. But David, let's don't go too deep in the woods on this. Yeah, we won't. One of the foundational principles in our country, and that makes it unique in the history of the world, is the system of checks and balances that are built into our Constitution. And this means that we have three equal and yet separate branches of government, the executive, legislative, and judicial branches. And within that system is the provision for the removal from office of the president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States if Congress finds them guilty of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Since 1789, 19 federal officials have been brought up on impeachment charges by the House of Representatives with eight people convicted after a Senate trial. Now, two presidents have actually been impeached by the House. That would be Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton, but neither were convicted in the Senate. Uh, Back in April of 1974, the Judiciary Committee approved three articles of impeachment against Richard Nixon, and when it became clear he would be impeached and convicted, he resigned in August. So of the eight persons impeached and convicted in Congress, all were judges who faced charges including perjury, tax evasion, bribery, and in one case supporting the Confederacy. So the language for the standard for impeachment is high crimes and misdemeanors, and it's been somewhat of a controversial statement and continues to be a source of confusion. The general intent of the framers was high crimes and misdemeanors would involve conduct that would seriously harm the public, including the security of the country, and seriously compromise the person's ability to faithfully execute the duties of their office. David, as we try to analyze what has been happening, not just over the last couple of weeks, but over the past two and a half years, would you say that this process involving President Trump has been fair, bipartisan, and has been faithful to the standards and the intents of the Founding Fathers for guarding the integrity of our republic? 
Well, let me first say this. I don't consider myself a Republican, a Democrat, or an Independent. I consider myself a theologically and socially conservative believer in Christ who tries to hold a biblically consistent worldview. Now, that being said, there's almost nothing about this process that has been anything but a travesty of justice and a complete violation of the spirit of what the Founders intended. Talk of impeachment began even before he took office with the first formal call for impeachment by Al Green on May 17th of 2017 with zero charges. Then Rashida Tlaib uh, was sworn into office on January 3rd of this year, and she's well known for saying, we're going to go in there and we're going to impeach the mother expletive. They tried to hang him on a two-and-a-half-year Mueller probe into Russian meddling, and they found nothing, even though Hillary Clinton, the DNC, and almost certainly Barack Obama were involved with an illegal FISA warrant and the fake Steele dossier to derail Trump's campaign, and that did involve the Russians, and the media was complicit in this, as was the FBI and the Justice Department. And now with the Ukrainian investigation, there's not a shred of direct evidence of a quid pro quo or any crime whatsoever. And even their best witnesses have said they've only assumed but never actually heard these things, even though Joe Biden himself bragged in a press interview when he was in office that he had done exactly what Trump is now accused of. And to be honest, the self-righteous hypocrisy of Nancy Pelosi and others has been astounding. On Wednesday, three anti-Trump legal professors continually invoked the memory and original intent of the founding fathers, as did Pelosi on Thursday, and yet the entire Democratic Party has done everything they can to stand against all constitutional originalists at every turn. David, I want to thank you for helping me be involved in this discussion as well as we were prepping for our discussion. You sent me several articles, most of them, by the way, critical that dealt with the broad support for the president and that support from mostly evangelicals, even to the point of evangelicals being accused of blindly supporting the president, no matter what he might have done or be guilty of. Well, according to some polling, as many as 99% of evangelical Republicans oppose impeachment. In October, Trump met with some 25 faith leaders, and Johnny Moore, who's a member of the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, said the sentiment was, they're trying to impeach us, meaning evangelicals. Robert Jeffress is reported as saying, I've never seen evangelicals more angry over any issue than this attempt to illegitimately remove this president from office, overturn the 2016 election, and negate the votes of millions of evangelicals in the process. He went on to say, if the Democrats are successful, I'm afraid it will cause a civil war-like fracture in this nation. Jerry Falwell Jr. has said that there's nothing he could imagine Trump could do that would cause him to drop his support. You know, I would say that some of these statements are over the top and really don't reflect the heartfelt sentiment of most evangelicals, at least the ones I know. I, I don't know anyone who's happy with much of the conduct of the president, and I personally wish he would stop tweeting that he would stop the name-calling, the mocking, and the personal attacks. But there are two things to keep in mind. His policies do tend to be in line with conservative values, and the sheer evil in the hearts of so many of his enemies has really been laid bare for the world to see. I think in this discussion, as we think about it from a biblical perspective, 
We know that the Bible has a lot to say about corruption among a nation's leaders. I mean, history past reveals that. And we know there's a lot of corruption throughout our own government today, not just at the top, at the presidency. And you have to go ahead and say that even if it isn't as bad here as it is in many other countries of the world. Well, you know, at every election, every person we cast a vote for is someone with a sin nature. The worst of them go in with an evil agenda, and the best of them struggle with temptation, as we all do. Except that in the case of the politicians, sometimes the stakes are higher. In Proverbs, we read that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And then Paul told Timothy in Second Timothy, we know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, and and it goes on and on. And so, you know, we need to be very careful. We need to uh, take our votes seriously, but we also need to stand for what is right. We don't support people blindly, but we do support policies that are in keeping with biblical values and the spirit of the Constitution, which is a brilliant document. It's a brilliant document. And Basically, the foundation for that Constitution, the Bible itself, the Word of God. David, excellent research done. You did very good. You're on your way home. I don't know how you got all that done, but uh, I'm thankful for you being able to do that for us. We appreciate it. We'll have another conversation next week. I look forward to it, Jimmy. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to open the Bible. We'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. By the way, when you're at my website, go to my Prophecy Bookstore, a special deal for Christmas from Prophecy Today. We have the Prophetic Book Essential 3-Pack. Now, that is great because these three books are essential for your understanding of Bible prophecy. The book of Daniel, the book of Ezekiel, and the book of Revelation. Those are the three books. I have commentaries written on all three of these, the most important books in the Bible prophetically because all other prophetic passages of Scripture dovetail into these three books. Each one addresses God's plan for a different strand of the human family. Daniel for the Gentiles, Ezekiel for the Jews, and Revelation for the Christians. In this special offer, you will receive my studies of these three special books, Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation, Daniel, a prophet to the Gentiles, Ezekiel, the man and the message, and Revelation, a chronology. Normal price, $45. We're going to give it to you for only $30. Let me remind you to buy right now. And by the way, when you're thinking about it, please prayerfully consider making us a part of your end-of-the-year giving. Those who partner with us keep the ministry of Prophecy Today moving forward. To donate your tax-deductible gift, please visit prophecytoday.com forward slash partners or call us at 8prophecy8, that's 877-674-3200. And thank you very much. (music) 
It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. I'll open the Bible. We'll look at the prophetic scenarios that are found in God's Word for the end-time scenario, and then we'll compare what God's Word has to say with the current events that our broadcast partners gave us details on when I had my conversations earlier on this broadcast, even the conversation that I had with Ken Timmerman. He was accused by the Iranian government of being behind the protest there in Iran. Our broadcast partners are key to our weekly and daily broadcast. They inform us of current events, giving us information details behind the stories we are reporting on, which seemingly are setting the stage for the prophetic scenario in God's Word to be played out. By the way, if you missed any of these reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There you can find archived copies of the radio conversations that I had with my broadcast partners, and at that point, you can listen to them. And may I suggest that you send that link along to one of your friends or somebody that you know who may well be interested in Bible prophecy They need to have the input from our broadcast partners. For example, today we heard from Ken Timmerman. He covers geopolitical activities for us around the world, and he had a report on the recent NATO meeting in London. You know, NATO is the military arm for the European Union. They just had this recent meeting there in Europe, and in London it was a tension-filled meeting that took place, President of France Macron, President of the United States Trump, at each other, talking about what should be done as it relates to NATO, who Macron said was brain-dead. Well, the President of the United States wants to have each of the member states of NATO to pay their fair share. By the way, you understand European Union is at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. That's Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 23 and 24. And NATO may well be the military arm of the revived Roman Empire until the revived Roman Empire will set in place their own military. This is all being played out in our world today. David Dolan gave us his Middle East news update, and at the top of his agenda was the celebration of President Trump announcing on December the 6th, 2017, that Jerusalem was the political capital of the Jewish state of Israel. You might remember world leaders went crazy, saying this would be the beginning of World War III. We've watched it for the last two years. That does not seem to be the case. But this last week on December the 6th, a great celebration in Israel. Now, I say to you, this was one of the most profound pronouncements that was ever made by any president or political leader in this world. The announcement of Jerusalem as the capital of the Jewish state of Israel is key to Bible prophecy. The name Jerusalem used 764 times in the Bible. And in the book of Revelation especially, we can see it used three times, which is key. Revelation chapter 11 verses 1 and 2 talks about a temple. 
a temple that will stand on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem during the tribulation period. And I can tell you all the preparations have been made to build that temple. In chapter 13 of Revelation, verses 14 and 15, it talks about a tyrant that will go into that temple and he will walk into the Holy of Holies and claim to be God himself. That's Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 4. This is key because that is the abomination of desolation. They'll put up a statue of the Antichrist as the Antichrist actually goes to Babylon, where he will set up an economic, political, governmental system. But the world will be made to worship that image of the beast in the temple in Jerusalem. And of course, chapter 19, verse 11, speaks of the return of Jesus Christ to the earth, That will establish, once again, a theocracy in our world, and that's when God gives him his kingdom and his dominion. God gives the Son, Jesus Christ, that which will make him King of kings and Lord of lords forever. John Rood updated us on the the NATO situation there in London. The European Union concerned, especially France, Germany, and the U.K., about the Iranian nuclear situation. Of course, Iran listed in Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5. And then Dr. Don DeYoung talked about the largest ever black hole. Genesis 1 talks about the Lord making the statement on the fourth day of creation and the stars also. Four words that brought all the stars into existence. You know what a black hole, of course, is. It's an imploding star or a number of stars imploding. But all of this makes manifest the glory of the Lord. We need to look to the glory of the Lord. We do that by looking into the heavens and his creative acts. Mike Gendron talked with us about false teachers. Jesus warned about false teachers in the last days. Matthew chapter 24, verses 4, 5, 11, and 24, he said deception from false teachers would be the first indicator of his return to the earth, not the rapture, but the second coming. And then David James and I had a conversation about the impeachment process that is going on. They're getting ready in Washington to impeach President Trump. Well, you need to hear what he had to say. Impeachment is key to accountability, but it needs to be just and fair. All of these broadcast partners can be heard at my website, prophecytoday.com. There you can find archived copies of the radio conversations that I had with my broadcast partners. And may I suggest that you send that link along to somebody that you know who may well be interested in Bible prophecy. They need to have the input from our broadcast partners. May I tell you this? Every single report from my broadcast partners gave us evidence that we are quickly approaching the time of the next event on God's calendar of activities, and that is the rapture of the church, which, by the way, could happen at any moment, even today. And with that, there's nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.